This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. Christ lives in you, the believer. That's why we like to say Christ in us for others. Christ lives in me and I'm in Christ. That's what makes this brief moment on earth worth living for. This particular message, hope for today, you shall love yourself. Now, I even hesitated to title this message this way because I know how that comes across. But according to the Word of God, you and I can love ourselves in a godly way. And I can tell you this, if you don't love God, and if you don't love yourself, you're damaging the reputation of a loving Heavenly Father. So, the Bible clearly teaches this. It teaches that there is a war going on within the believer. You say, brother, even if the Bible doesn't teach it, I want to tell you there is a war going on between us. And uh, the Bible teaches us that that war is between our flesh and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's going back and forth. When the Bible speaks of flesh, it's talking about self. F-L-E-S-H, drop the H, turn the word around backward, and it spells self. And so there's a war going on within all believers. The Holy Spirit saying, I will have my way. And the flesh said, no, you're not either. I'm going to have my way. And they go back and forth, back and forth. Part of me wants to say good things and do good things. Part of me wants to say bad things and do bad things. But I am a child of God's. But if we're not careful, because of this battle that goes on between us, we will cease loving the wonderful created being that we are. We have to be careful. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he talked about what he felt like with this battle going on within him between the Holy Spirit and me having my own way. And you see this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. We're just, by way of introduction, we're going to look at this, and then we're going to go to Mark. But uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 18, listen to what Paul says. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Do you ever feel that way, or is it just me? You want to do good, but then you don't do good. You want to say good things, then you don't say good things. Now, he says the flesh right here. He said, in my flesh. The flesh here means the evil, corrupt nature, which is inherited from Adam. We all came from Adam. And when they sinned in the garden, sin came into the world, sin came into mankind, and that was passed down through human beings right up to the present day. And so this is talking about the corrupt nature that we inherited from Adam And uh, it is the source of every evil action which a person performs, and there is nothing good in it. I want to tell you something. Hang on to this and meditate on it today. When you begin to realize that I have this within me, even as a believer, you will learn to not put any trust in your flesh. You need to know that it's there. Paul says, the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Paul has realized. I can't count on me. It simply does not work. It's like taking an anchor instead of casting it overboard to hold the boat steady in the water. You cast it inside the boat. That's what we do as Christians when we don't understand 
what's going on within us. We're trying in and of ourselves to fix ourselves. And my friend, listen, it cannot be done. It's impossible. The sin nature can't fix anything. It can only make us more like the devil. So we must put our trust in the Holy Spirit who lives his life in and through us. Because like the Apostle Paul, you and I cannot live the Christian life. If you're trying to live the Christian life, pull a Bob Newhart. Stop it. Don't try. Because it only makes it worse and it frustrates everyone around you. Now, look down just a few more verses in Romans 7 to verse 24. Listen to what Paul says. He's talking about, I've got this struggle going on within me, and we do too. And this is what he says about it. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body? He's talking about the old nature and all this corruption within us. Who will set me free from the body of this death? This is how he describes that pull inside of you to do what you want to do, that pull inside of me to do what I want to do. He's calling it a body of death. Now, some commentators see this, and they believe he's referring to something the evil tyrants back in those days would do to punish people. And this is what they would do. They would take a person, and then they'd take a dead person, and they'd put them face to face just like this. And then they would bound them up and strap them around so that they died on that corpse. So when Paul was using this imagery here, this is how he sees that part of us that wants to have our own way. He saw it as the most despicable thing that you could possibly imagine. And to me, that's got to be the worst form of punishment that could ever be known to man. I can't imagine dying out in the wilderness, staked out, strapped, face-to-face to to a dead body. But this is what he's saying. This is how he's characterizing this struggle within us against the Holy Spirit. And so, the provision has been made for the true child of God. When Jesus died, he died for the sin debt that we had. But not only that, he died for ourself. He died for us, and he died as us. He was just. He had never sinned, but he became our sin, and he died for the unjust. And the only thing you and I can do, thank God for sending his only begotten son. And then all thankfulness for our possessions, for the money that we have, the things that we have, everything comes from that being first, trickles down into our thankfulness for other things. And so, to know this, that I'm crucified with Christ, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ, notice, lives in me. That's indwelling you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, when you feel that struggle going on within you, it's the same one I feel. It's the same one you feel. That is the Holy Spirit warring against what Paul called this body of death. Back and forth, back and forth. All right, look, that's frustrating. And if you're not careful, you'll get on a line of thinking that you will actually despise yourself and you will cease to love yourself. It's because many people don't know who they are and what they have in Christ. They begin to loathe themselves and it affects their theology. 
They become works-oriented and comparing themselves with other people. We must love ourselves. It's okay, and I'm going to show you how this is possible. Now, this war that's going on, it's like having power, but you're not using it. But I want to tell you, if you struggle with assurance of your salvation, hang on to this. If you're struggling with, am I really born again or not? Let me tell you. If you're struggling inside, that is a good sign that he's there. (laughs) Amen? If you're not struggling inside, you do need to ask yourself, have I been born again? There should be that struggle. Everyone that's ever lived that was born again deals with the same thing. Some surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit more. But I want to tell you, records show that in biographies and things that most people are in their 50s before they ever begin to say, I'm going to give up myself to him and see what happens. We're strong individuals, strong-willed individuals, and we don't want to give in. But I want to tell you, you'll begin to loathe yourself if you don't begin to surrender to the Holy Spirit who lives within you. So that struggle within you is the Holy Spirit saying, I am applying myself to that which you're struggling with. And the wise thing to do is to see yourself crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Let him have unhindered way, and he will deal with that, and he'll begin to live his life through you. And you know what the results are? Christ-likeness in your personality. Your personality will change. Look, when you're born again, God's controlling you. It changes how you think. It changes your countenance. It changes your body language. It even changes what you choose to wear. The death of Christ terminates our condemned selves and liberates our redeemed selves. In other words, when we choose to let God's Spirit live in and through us unhindered, we begin to experience the love that's been shed abroad in our heart by that same Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. So, as we progress in spiritual sanctification, you say, well, what is that? My friend, listen, you are a saint. When you put your trust in Christ to save you, He saves you, declared you righteous, the just for the unjust. The just being Jesus, He died for the unjust All of us, and what happened, that justified us, declared us righteous. And because of that, we've been liberated in our condemned selves, which terminates, and then our redeemed selves have been liberated. And it affects our total being. It affects the whole issue of love in our life and love uh, with other people. Now, we don't lose our personality. When we become a child of God, Uh, We still have that same personality. But as we learn to give way to the Holy Spirit, what happens? Our personality does undergo change. We should be becoming more and more like Christ. That's what's called, theologically, progressive sanctification. Don't let that word make you afraid. All it is is this. God's getting more and more of me. That's all that is. And people are beginning, as Gypsy Smith used to say, they're beginning to see the beauty of Jesus in you. That's what that is. And so we will find that we can love ourselves in a godly, expected way. So we become saints. When we become a child of God, we become saints. But a lot of people, and even music sometimes talks about, I'm just a sinner 
saved by grace. I want to tell you, you are a saint. And yes, we do sin, but you are a saint. You say, why is that so important? If you see yourself just as a sinner saved by grace, you know what you'll do? You'll probably sin more. Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is the truth. You are a saint. See yourself the way God sees you, a saint in Christ. Even now, God sees you and me at his right hand. And so, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. That is your true identity, even if your emotions are not allowing you to see this. It is the truth about you. And from that truth, our identity in Christ, it's no longer I, but it's Christ living in and through me. I'm seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God sees me in that position now and forevermore. I am a saint, no longer a sinner before the eyes of God because my sin has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. That's why you shall love yourself. Now, let's look at this a little bit more. Turn to Mark chapter 12, the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Something happened one day, and uh, Jesus was having some exchanges with the scribes and Pharisees. And, and then a scribe asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of all? And listen to what Jesus said in verses 30 and 31 of Mark 12. Jesus said, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor, and then look what's implied here, as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Notice. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, we're to love God, we're to love others, and yes, we are to love ourselves. Now, since we were kids in Sunday school, we were taught God first, others second, and you're third. But just remember, it may be third, but we're still included, right? We're to love God. We're to love others. And yes, we're to love ourselves. It's okay to love yourself. Not to love yourself as a child of God is to disobey God's command. You shall love yourself. It's okay to love the wonderful creation that God has made with you. Now, what can we know about this love? Number one, it is a love that is real. Again, you shall love yourself with all your, notice the word here, heart. Nothing damages our personalities more than a distorted love that is not from the heart. You know, you have two kinds of people. You, you have many kinds of people, but two predominant kinds of people. You have a person who's very stoic, and that's male or female, but you really see it in males, but you see it in males and females. Very stoic. And then you have people who are very sensual. Everything appeals to their eyes and to their flesh. They just want the delights of everything. The stoic person is a person who is indifferent to pleasure or pain. They do not respond to either one. This produces a callous and calculated character. A person who tends to be a loner, cynical, and avoiding social interaction in groups. This is the person who 
stoic. Their expression on their faith is always the same. I don't show approval. I don't show disapproval. I don't show when I'm pleased. I don't show when I'm in pain. They're just stoic. They're robotic. Someone has said the loneliest place on the planet is the human heart when love is absent. A stoic person can't love and be loved. But then there's the sensual person. This person is also heartless. They are self-absorbed and see people as objects for their own pleasure. They can be nice, friendly, and outgoing, but their motive is how you make them feel nothing about you. They don't even realize they do this. They manipulate others to get what they want. And you see this happen, both of these happen, even in an immediate family, a small family and a home. You see, a love that is real is a love that has been cleansed, a love that is controlled by the incoming, indwelling, and infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's why people need Jesus. We can sing and talk about love, and the world needs to love one. And my friend, it's never going to happen the way it needs to happen until, first of all, people need to be born again, born from above. Now, this initially happens when you pray and ask Christ to come into your heart. He comes into your heart. He sets up residence in your heart. He's in your spirit, which affects your soul, which even affects your body when it comes to the whole issue of love. My friend, listen, you can't really love people the way God intended us to love people and Him back and forth without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God because that love is an agape, sacrificial love. It's not just a love on a human level. So, a love that is real, the whole world seeking it, we have it because Christ is in us and God is love. Don't be stoic. Don't be sensual. Be real because you have Mr. Real living in you. Second thing is this, a love that is constant. A love that is constant. A lot of love is up one day, down the next. You're just loving one another and everything's just going fine and then something goes wrong. And where did the love go? We're talking about a love that is constant. What did Jesus say? He said, you shall love yourself with all your soul. The immaterial part of you. You see, basic human love goes up and down. It depends on circumstances. And the reason is because it is affected by the feelings and frustrations of a sinful heart. Remember, Paul said, I have this body of death. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This indwelling desire to have our own way, warring against the Holy Spirit within us, and He is our love. And so, God's love is not based on this, up and down. God's love is not based on the object of His love, but on the fact that God is love, and His love is a perfect and constant love that does not ebb and flow. So when the Bible tells men that they're to love their wife like God loves the church, God loves the church in spite of the church. Not in spite in a bad way, but what I'm saying is God's love is constant, and it's not controlled by the object of His love. God is love. Our problem as human beings is our love is based on the object and how they react to me. What God would have us to do is to grow in love, and love that is real, which comes from the Holy Spirit in us, 
And love that is constant, not based on whether I'm liked or loved, or even if I'm maligned, God would have me, God would have you to love constantly. And I want to tell you, this can't be done apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm telling you, we're totally dependent on Him. There's a lot of strife in families all over America. And people get angry with one another. How do you love somebody that's cantankerous? How do you just keep loving someone who's hard to get along with? You can't. God never said you could. He always said He would in and through you. Listen, you're going to have to surrender to Him because I want to tell you, some people are just not lovable. Until they get things together, they just are not lovable people. But with real love, constant love by the Holy Spirit living in the believer, we can love regardless. Now, I won't guarantee you that you'll always feel that, but you can at least walk in that. And when you do, later in the day, you're going to be glad that you did instead of expressing uh, yourself to them in an unloving way. And so God's love is real. God's love is constant. My friend, listen, you can't measure God. So you can't measure His love. You can't measure God, so you can't measure His forgiveness. You can't measure God, so we can't measure when He's grieved by the way we are. We can't measure it because He grieves to the level that He loves. It's measureless because God is measureless. How deep the Father's love for us. Third thing is this. It is a love that is discerning. It is a love that is discerning. This is something you need to sit and meditate on, think through, relying on the Holy Spirit and His precious Word if you want to be discerning in this matter of love. You can't go by your feelings. As I say often, feelings are fickle. Feelings are like a football. You never know which way they'll bounce. You have to be discerning, and this has to deal with your mind. So... The third thing, a love that is discerning, Jesus said, you shall love yourself with all your mind. This means we are to love ourselves with sound judgment. You know, we can lie to ourselves. We can manipulate ourselves to believe something that's just not true. We are to love ourselves with a sound mind with just truth. Listen to what Paul says about a sound mind. In this passage I'm going to read, he mentions think three times. Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to look, think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. I think some of your translations may have soberly. To think soberly and to have a sound mind it's talking about having discernment. And you say, well, how can I have a sound mind? How can I think soberly? How can I be wise and discerning? My friend, listen. Immerse yourself into the holy word of God with the purpose of absolute surrender to the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. And I want to tell you, He will open your mind, flood your mind, will, and your emotions with truth. You have to walk in the truth that He shows you, and you will have a discerning mind. Uh, you will think 
soundly and soberly. He said, you shall love yourself with all your mind. You see, we're not to overestimate ourselves. You know why? When we overestimate ourselves, you can see it in, pe in people's body language. When they're overestimating themselves, I mean, they're all bowed up. It makes me want to stand across the room from them. But what happens when we overestimate ourselves, we become proud. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, when you think of God opposing the proud, this is how we think in our humanity. Boy, I tell you what, that guy's prideful. God's going to slap him down. God's going to knock him down. God's going to make all of his tires go flat this afternoon. But sometimes we become prideful. We, have, we overestimate ourselves, and that brings pride. But notice, not only that, we can underestimate ourselves. You can overestimate yourself and be prideful, but we can also underestimate ourselves. And what did Paul say? Paul said we're to think soberly, have a sound mind. We should be discerning. We should not be overestimating or underestimating ourselves. We should know our position in Christ Jesus and let that carry us to have a sound mind. And so the person that underestimates himself damages the reputation of God. You know why? People know that you're a Christian. and because they know that you're a Christian, you are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you think this way or not, you are a representative. You're an ambassador. You're an emissary. And when you underestimate yourself, people associate the way you are with the God that you profess. And so, they do little or nothing in finding and fulfilling God's call on their life. They're Christians who just come to church occasionally on Sunday, give a little bit, and that is just about it. They damage the reputation of God. This person has an inverted form of pride. They lack confidence. They lack confidence. You know why they lack confidence? They don't know that much about God, and they don't really understand that he lives in me, and they don't see themselves the way Bible is so clearly how God sees us from an eternal perspective, clear as a bell. They don't see these things, and so they have a lack of confidence in God. That means a lack of trust in God, and they underestimate themselves, and that is sin. And I want to tell you, their body language, their facial expressions, their voice and the way they do things can appear to be humble, but it's not. It is as prideful as the most arrogant, loud man or woman that you could ever be around. It's just an inverted form of pride. Well, just give me the lowest job around the church. Well, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just do this. And, you know, don't expect too much of me. You know, I could never teach a class. Or, and the next thing you know, you say, you know, that's just an inverted form of pride. They underestimate themselves. And so, we do not need to do either one of those. We need to have a sound mind. Again, listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, overestimation, 
but to think so as to have sound judgment. That is a right estimate of ourselves. You say, what is that right estimate of ourselves? Our identity in Christ Jesus is it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It says, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Fourth and last thing is this, a love that is a blessing. I want to tell you what our church needs and what all of our churches need. They need people who are a blessing to be with. We need to be around people that are a blessing to be with, an encouragement to be with, who has a word of Jesus on the tip of their tongue, a word of encouragement, of exhortation, a word that lifts. We need that. Jesus says again, you shall love yourself with all your strength. Now, he's gone from the immaterial part of us, our spirit and our soul, our heart, mind. He's now saying strength, that's the physical part of us. And we're supposed to be giving all of this away to him. Why should I do that? Because I love God supremely. Amen? That is our motive. You shall love yourself with all your strength. So, a love that is real, a love that is constant, a love that is discerning will shine right through our physical bodies in activity with other people. You see, we were created by God, and our being here on this earth was not some kind of an accident. There's coming a certain day you will cease to live on this earth. You will pass away. Before you were born, God knew how long you would last. He has ordered it. He has ordained it. And it's going to happen just the way He ordered and ordained. So we cannot be satisfied with living a mediocre life when it comes to the One who created us, the One who sent His Son to die for us, the One who's given me a plan and He has a will for me on this earth because I'm, I have my days are numbered and I'm going to cease and then I will go to be with Him for all eternity in heaven. What on earth am I supposed to be doing right now in this moment called time? I'm afraid most Christians are so caught up with things that don't matter, they're dying daily having done nothing and quibbling over things that don't matter or doing good things but not best things. So we shouldn't be satisfied and we won't be satisfied until we realize, what am I here for? God, what is your plan for me? And then get in on the plan, move forward with God, letting Him live through us and fulfilling that plan. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul said, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The only satisfaction that you and I can ever possibly have on this earth, and the only enjoyment that we can have on this earth is found in loving God, others, and yes, even ourselves. Because I want to tell you, if you don't love yourself, I doubt seriously you're really loving God. And so, think about this. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. The Bible teaches that this Jesus, who is God, He became human flesh. And He was born in Bethlehem. The first time the angels saw 
Jesus was in the face of a baby. He lived only 33 years. He was both God and man. The Bible says he was tempted in all points, just like we're tempted. But this is what was said about him as a human in Hebrews 12, 2. Listen to this. And think about yourself. Think about Jesus. Think about yourself. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Listen. For the joy set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame. And listen, what is he now? He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. God sees all true children of God. He sees them already in Christ Jesus. That's your position. That is your true identity. Not that you're healthy, not that you're wealthy, not that you're beautiful, not that you're intelligent, not that you live in the right place, drive the right thing, wear the right clothes. It is, I'm in Christ, Christ is in me. When you know that and choose to walk in it, you can, in a healthy, godly way, love yourself. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him in his humanity endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And as human, listen to what Jesus said about himself. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to accomplish His work. God sent you to this earth. Your days are numbered. He sent you for His purpose. And what you should satisfy yourself with and enjoy, according to Hebrews 12, 2, is doing the will of the Father and to accomplish His work. What is His work? Read the accounts of the life of Jesus and take a notebook and write down what He was doing while He was here. Because I want to tell you, that is God's purpose and will and plan for your life. And I want to tell you what He was doing. He was seeking, saving that which is lost, and He was making disciples who made disciples. And because of that, you and I heard the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe and receive. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.